This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to literary tracks our dedicated books and comics show here on trek fm so excited to be here tonight i'm joined by two just marvelous gentlemen uh that i i love spending time with and uh of course you all know them the wonderful the talented bruce gibson dan gunther how are you both doing we're great not bad at all <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, we are, as we're recording in the very crazy 2016 holiday season, there is so much happening. Uh, not a lot of news, though, for Star Trek books. I mean, we had Prey just drop the third book in that series, so uh, we'll be looking forward to talking to John Jackson Miller next week. Everybody can be looking forward to that. We already know the schedule coming out for most of uh, 2017, and... Uh, so I had a pop question for you guys. Uh, I haven't told you both at all what it is other than the fact that you were getting the question. And the question is this. So we talked a little bit last week about Deep Space Nine and things that we might want to see happen. So I, I just was wondering a little bit on that same vein, what would be your wish list to see in Star Trek books in the future? Now we already, as I mentioned, we know some of the things that are coming up here for uh, 2017, but what might you want to see in the future? This is a really great question. Um, well, that's why I get paid the, <laughs> well, no bucks. So, Well, I we are already getting more of this, so this might be a bit of a cheat answer, but uh, Department of Temporal Investigations, please. Uh, more of that, maybe another uh, full novel. That would be cool. That's a good one. So, I do have an answer to this question. I don't think we will see this, but I would love a novel in the Kelvin timeline. Therefore, we will probably not see that. But the reason what I want to see in the Kelvin timeline is that period of time of what happens in the Federation and with Vulcan and with Romulus and all the, everything that goes from Kirk's birth all the way to when we see Kirk right before he joins the academy like how do we get from that point in the change in the timeline to the point in star trek 09 like i want to see what happened in that period of time that changed the universe to get us to the current kelvin timeline storylines that's what i would Heck love yeah. to see that's a great answer i love that uh there's a lot of potential yeah. there for like stories around admiral marcus and that kind of thing 
uh, before mm-hmm. his fall from grace sort of thing. Yeah, that that's brilliant. I love that. Well, I should take I mean, we could have that in comic form because we've had Kelvin Timeline comics, of course. So I was just thinking novels, but yeah, definitely in a comic. I'll take it anyway. Anyhow, we can get it. Bring it on. Well, I don't think there's any reason for them not to. It's I don't feel like they're going to go back and cover that stuff in the movies at all. I mean, we only get movies in the Kelvin timeline, so why not fill in some of those gaps with books? And I'm right there with you. I'd love to see what happened. I, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, I have a couple. One, I would like to see the five-year mission series after the motion picture. So I'd like to see yes. just a series mm-hmm. of, of what that, mission was like those five years it's a lot of time Uh, i'd also like all of the missions and i'd like this to be a series i think it could be as well after star trek four and five you know so what what are all those missions like you know we've gotten a few books in there uh, smattering here and there but i'd love to see those i think that would be really fascinating uh and those timelines are, are are not something that's been over explored so I think it would be really fun to really delve into the characters then because there's a lot of changes happening one between one and two. Uh, and then, of course, between five and six, uh, there's just a lot of stuff that can happen. So I think that would be fun. And uh, a thirdly, I think for me, uh, I want to see more Aventine. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm disappointed that we have seen so little of Esri Dax and her crew. And especially since she has characters like Sam Bauer uh, from the Deep Space Nine series that we got to know so well, and and now that he's on the ship is with her, uh, I would just love more opportunities to spend with that crew and get to know them, and uh, it would be a lot of fun, you know. And they got a slipstream drive ship, so they can do all sorts of fun, crazy adventures. How cool would an Aventine ebook only series be, like? you know, coming out once every two months, three months, something like that. Doesn't have to be huge, epic, you know, quadrant-changing stories. Just, you know, some interesting stories with Dax and her crew. I love that ship. I love that crew. I love her command style they've done in the novels. I would love to see lots more with her, for sure. Yeah, I would, too. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else. Maybe something something else in the Lost Era I'd like to see... Uh, mm-hmm. some expansion continuing in that period of time. Uh, of course, I'd like to see something that goes maybe into the 25th century. Again, I don't think we would get that. I guess I'm just saying I want to like... Buck Rogers in the 25th century! <laughs> hey, yeah, and you got Wilma and, and, and Tweaky. Hey, a book. Um, <laughs> I mean, as long as the Bickering Bickleys are involved, I'm totally for I it. I would take... A, Bickering, Bick, Bickering Bickley comic, where they're the star of it. That would be <laughs> something that would be a prized possession that I would always treasure. Well, I mean, I know the Waypoint series is digging deep into Star Trek lore, but that might be a pretty big ask. <laughs> like an origin story. <laughs> Does anybody want to bring them back? I, I don't know. As long as they have the capes and the weird leotards, though, they've got to have that. Well, you know... <laughs> Matt, that's what we're going to cosplay at Dragon Con next year. <laughs> oh, that? Okay. Okay. Uh, well, you can be Mrs. Bickley then. One thing uh, I recently read was uh, Dayton Ward was talking about the reviews for his Gold Key homage comic. 
and saying his favorite reviews were the ones that had no idea what the heck they were doing and were just like, what is this? What's going on? Can you imagine what that would be like for a Bickley, bickering Bickley's comic? I mean, that would just, be, oh man, people would be going nuts. You know what that means is just that more people should be listening to Literary Treks because we've been talking about the Gold Key comics for a few years now. Exactly. And, and in fact, tonight we'll be finishing up volume three. So uh, really, we just need to get more people listening to Literary Treks. And and I, you know what? The best way to do that is is going over to iTunes and iTunes.com slash Trek FM and uh, finding Literary Treks. Give us a star reading review and that'll help more people find the show. But uh, what I'm really interested in, guys, is where people can contact us so they can tell us their wish lists for Star Trek books. So where are the, some of the places that they can find us online? Well, of course, you can find uh, Trek FM on Twitter at Trek FM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. And while you're on Facebook, you should probably check out the Babel Conference, which is our listeners only discussion group. Just search for the Babel Conference. That's B-A-B-E-L in the search field. And it's a listeners-only group, so you'll have to be asked to let be let in, but we'll let you right in. And to add to that, there's the Goodreads group. You go to goodreads.com or the app, and then you search for the Literary Treks group, and you ask to join, and we approve you, and then you're in for fun discussions of Star Trek books. Yeah, so I this is, yeah, this is really exciting. I, I would love to see people's ideas and, and what they would like to, to read you know, in, in the, in the books. I think it's a really fascinating discussion. Uh, and you know, um, maybe pockets listening and some of the ideals will seep out into books that we would hope to see. I'm also going to stick in a vote there for another myriad universes anthology. Cause I love those stories. I would love to see another collection of those. Gentlemen, we have arrived at gold key archives, volume three, part two. We're going to be covering the last three issues here. And I have to say that the very first issue that we're going to be covering today, tonight, Day of the Inquisitors, does this not feel like the most Star Trek-y episode of this so far? Like, doesn't it just kind of seem to feel like one of the very early episodes of Star Trek? I didn't really recall anything in here that's just like super way off. I mean... They're talking about the Prime Directive, basically, and all sorts of things that, I mean, this this comic series is really starting to feel a little bit more like Star Trek each and every volume. Yeah, I was thinking that, too, because when I was reading this, this, this story, I remember thinking, this actually feels like not the best Star Trek episode, but it feels more like a Star Trek episode from the TV series, more so than the previous stories. There are a lot of elements here that this story has in common with the original series. You've kind of almost even got that tired old castle interior set that you see in every third episode or so. You know, you've got the medieval garb, you've got uh, a planet whose evolution seems to fairly closely mirror Earth's past for some unknown reason. Uh, Certainly something we saw a lot in the TV show. Well, I mean, you you almost expected Landry to show up at some point, you know, or Catspaw, you know, maybe Terlane, who knew? Uh, but no, I thought that this really did feel 
like they had actually been watching the show that they were writing about, <laughs> which was great. Except when it comes to the color of the uniforms for at least the women, because uh, public relations officer Claire, she's wearing a really like forced green miniskirt uniform and so is Yahora. I, I like that color. I mean, I I was like, wow, I why didn't they put this in the show? I mean, it, it, it kind of... That doesn't really jive with the the more like limey green that you get for Kirk and and apparently uh, I think it's Scotty. Hold on, nope, nope, nope. it's Bones. Right. It's hard to tell sometimes with the artwork, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, and it's funny because sometimes the characters will randomly change uniform colors in the issue, but yeah, this one was interesting because they had been on a mission. They're on their way back in a shuttlecraft uh, on a public relations mission. I thought that was funny uh, <laughs> that the Federation has a public relations officer. Uh, are, are we talking? Does, does she like run the Federation Twitter? <laughs> well, I kind of I, I really love this because, you know, in the next generation novels later on, we'll get, you know, things like contact specialists. And I think that's kind of what they're going for here. But I more picture, you know, someone who just trails behind Starfleet officers. And when Kirk says, let them die, she pops up and says, "Uh, what Captain Kirk meant to say there, (laughs) you know, and just really doing the PR work for the Federation and smoothing things over and, and, you know, making sure the wheels are greased and and nobody offends anybody. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really see how this is a public relations uh, mission necessarily, but... That's one thing I do want to see more in Star Trek is these other officers in positions we've never heard of because you have hundreds of officers on the ship and I'm sure there's positions that we've never explored. So I, it's great to see that they have public relations on the Enterprise. I mean, as much as Kirk messes things up, they need a good PR person. And I don't mean like messing things up, like timelines and things, you know. Maybe she is on the ship because, you know, she was, um, she's part of the... Just it's the very secret service of Starfleet that nobody really knew about, but uh, they were attached to uh, USS Fixer Upper, <laughs> and they just went around fixing up all the messes that Kirk, you know, and and then they finally just put somebody on his ship. They're like, this is too much trouble having a whole ship. To, we'll just put somebody on his ship, and hopefully she can deal with it. And yeah, like you said, Dan, they she just comes back. Um, that's I mean. Let me put that into context for you. Uh, you know, Kirk's been going through a really rough time. And just... yeah, she, <laughs> beams, she beams down at the end of the apple and, and tells them, look, I, I understand that your machine god has been destroyed, but there, you know, you really have to look at the positives of this. <laughs> <laughs> there is a cut scene from the Wrath of Khan that confirms that she was on the ship because when Khan sees her, he says... I never forget a face. He remembers the public relations person. We just never saw her because she was somewhere else on the ship, but Khan must have run into her and Chekhov in the hallway. That that makes uh, sense. Well, that's because they were a thing at, at one point, and so that's where they, they were walking around the hallway. Chekhov likes and... PR women. <laughs> I, I think our fan fiction's leaking into the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's a novel I'd like to see in 2017. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. 
Well, this is a fun issue just because, uh, you know, they're traveling back and they get hit by a meteor shower in space and it causes them to get sucked into the gravity well of a planet, which they land on. Uh, Luckily, did you notice that this shuttlecraft has seatbelts? Yes. Mm -hmm. Really smart. Yeah. So way ahead of most Federation technology. And um, they realize that the, the, the shuttlecraft accident has pretty much destroyed the shuttlecraft. They're not going to get off the ground. But it's also hurt all the radio equipment inside. And so they they get out, they're searching around, and they find a road. And they're like, oh, well, we've got to find people. There, there's actual road. So they travel down the road. And uh, this is where things get a little less episodish as Kirk's immediate recourse is just to start hitting guards and knocking people out <laughs> and spock uh, mm-hmm. yeah spock has no problem like apparently just cold cocking a guy yeah this was one area it actually reminded me going back to dayton's dayton and uh kevin dilmore's uh gold key homage comic you know when they see the klingons and just immediately jump out and start shooting them that i flashed back to that because here yeah in a gold key comic we see some guards guarding this guy and they have no idea what the situation is. They have no idea about anything to do with this culture or what's going on. And they decide, well, we got to beat these guys up because, you know, apparently this guy needs rescuing. We don't know yeah, anything about the situation, but there you go. Right, <laughs> right. We got to beat up these guards and then ask the guy, why were they holding you captive? Oh, and I'm a murderer. Like- <laughs> 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 right. I mean, you know, you don't go and you beat them up. I mean, in typical Star Trek style, you would approach them and you would try to talk to them and find out, you know, what are you doing with this man? Sir, are you okay? Or whatever, you know, but they're just like, oh, look, they have him captive. We got to go get them and beat them up. Spock, left hook, right uh, hook. Guys, <laughs> they're in black robes with their faces covered. They've got to be bad. They do look bad. So. That's true. I mean, that's like the intergalactic symbol for we're bad guys. Fair enough. We'll give them I mean, that for sure. <laughs> yeah. They're walking around just like Harley Quinn being like, we're bad guys. It's what we do. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, fair enough. But yeah, that was it was definitely you're right. This is where it kind of takes a bit of a turn and feels a little less what Gene Roddenberry would consider Star Trek anyway. Well, and it is interesting because they they find out from the guy who had been captured by these goons, these spooks, as they call them, uh, that they are a part of this group called the Inquisitors, and they've taken over the society, and they're they're dominating the planet. So it's, it's not good. I have to say, guys, check out the art on page 93. Man, does that not look like a spot on Bones? I mean, the artwork here is, it looks just like DeForest Kelly. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's one thing I notice is it's vastly improved over the last few issues. Uh, That's something that obviously they're getting a lot more practice at, a lot more uh, experience with is the likenesses. You know, if you think back in those early issues, we never got close-ups. They were always just kind of generic Starfleet people pretty small in the frame except for maybe the odd shot of kirk but even that just looked like generic action guy uh and and yeah they're getting much better at at getting the actors likenesses yeah especially on the close-ups that's where the likenesses are really spot on i mean more at the distance you get 
it is that well wait is that scotty or is that bones and who you know it sometimes gets a bit confusing but the close-ups look really good especially compared to those previous issues where it looks like they used like light brights to make them (laughs) (laughs) i'm just thinking generic action guy generic action guy oh gosh (laughs) no you guys are right on because that well and later on we uh, you know we get the story from the guy that they've captured and it switches over to the Enterprise. And Scotty and O'Hara are worried about the fact that they haven't heard back from the captain or or the shuttlecraft. And they get a message from Starfleet Command saying that they have an urgent mission that they need to go on right now. And so there's this tension happening on the ship, which I thought was nice because it created this command decision for Scotty to have to try and figure out, you know, what would Kirk do? Would he stay and search for his lost crew members or would he go help this other society that's having a crisis at the moment? And so I thought that the actual two parts of the story, this one seemed like the most Star Trek of it. Like this is actual decision that Scotty would have to have had made in one of the episodes. Yeah, and in fact, it is a situation that has come up a lot in various Star Trek episodes over the years. So I I thought that was really interesting that it plays out very similarly to, you know, times when this has come up. So, for example, first of all, just Scotty being in command and his kind of back and forth with Uhura. I mean, we've seen that on the show in Friday's Child, for example, Scotty in command searching for Klingons or, or whatever or metamorphosis searching for a lost shuttlecraft just like here and you know deep space 9 the defiant looking for cisco and being called away to escort a convoy and trying to hold out to the last minute to search for their captain you know it's a very familiar feeling situation and they do it very well here yeah cuz he you know it's always about saving your friends and putting them first it remind me of you know star trek 3 the search for spock and, you know, Yahura is like, you know, well, you know, we've got this message. And he's like, we're not going. And Sky's like, we ain't leaving here till we locate the captain, even if it means I risk a court martial doing it. And you can just see Scotty like, I don't give a crap what those admirals say. We are going to go rescue our friends. And luckily, just like in every episode of Star Trek, there's no real consequences for it either. So that's no, cool. Of course not. Come on, guys. That's just it's silliness. Well, I do like uh, I, I think that this story is really interesting in that, you know, we get back to the planet and we find out that the Inquisitors have gone through. And no, we're not talking about Star Wars Rebels here. The Inquisitors have gone through and ransacked the shuttlecraft and they've taken the radio and so now the whole thing is well we have to find a way to storm the castle and get the radio and how are we going to do that you know and all i can picture is princess bride just have fun storming the castle think it'll work it would take a miracle (laughs) exactly yeah I, i had that exact same thought Bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, no, this is, again, very familiar Star Trek feeling. You know, they're they're in the garb of the planet, uh, you know, doing something that looks like something from old Earth. It, it all feels very Star Trek-y. So we're kind of back again into 
Star Trekky stuff. Maybe not so much in how much they're blatantly interfering with this planet's culture, but I'm still going along with it. So I like the garb that they're wearing uh, for two reasons. One, McCoy, in whatever it is he's wearing, is like identical to the nativity set my parents have of one of the kings <laughs> I mean, that I grew up with. I mean, it's identical, the headgear and the scarf and whatever. I mean, he looks exactly <laughs> like that. So when I go to my parents this Christmas, I'm going to look at that nativity set and go, there's Dr. McCoy. <laughs> oh, Dr. McCoy is a wise man. We all knew it. Uh, I mean... Yeah, Kirk might just sometimes call him a wise guy, but uh, <laughs> no, I, that's hilarious. Well, Kirk is <laughs> got some hilarious. little pink thing. You remind me of He-Man. You know what oh. this reminded me of a little bit of is Avalon Rising, the original. Because it's all in this like medieval, um, right. you know, Renaissance type garb. And so, yeah, that <laughs> it maybe this is the inspiration for Avalon Rising. Who knows? Uh Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like one of your parents' wise men from the nativity. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, okay. It looks identical. Ooh. The colors and everything. So it's interesting because they split up into groups and uh, Spock and, and Claire go to infiltrate the castle. Uh, they're dressed as the Inquisitors and Kirk goes to rally the troops uh, to help them come and storm the castle. And so, uh, I, you know, I thought this was kind of uh, nice. You know, it, Kirk doing his his rousing, you know, Braveheart type speech for the people to come help him overthrow the Inquisitors, and uh, it's <laughs> that's that, that's pretty much the sum of what happens. Yeah, and this is where like it gets a little bit over top over the top in how much they're changing this planet's culture. And I mean, they even kind of remark on it at the end, like, well, I think we left them better than uh, when we found them. And, and that's good. But I don't know, is Starfleet going to see it that way? I don't think so. I don't think Starfleet will find out anything about this. They're going to bury this somewhere. <laughs> it's too embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the Kirk from the Tel Kelvin timeline who just doesn't file the reports. And that's but right. He's going to tell Spock not to as well this time. <laughs> Well, and, and what was interesting, too, is is that closer to the end, uh, Spock and Claire have been taken captive, and they're torturing Spock. Spock says, okay, okay, I'll show you how it all works. And Kirk then has his men, and they're storming the castle, and they all meet up in the same room. And Kirk's like, what are you doing, Spock? And Spock calls the Enterprise, and they get beamed away. Ta-da! Everything's okay. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. It is one of those funny things where a part of this feels very Star Trek-y, but then the other part is totally different because there's no regard for these people or their culture or, you know, changing their entire culture uh, because you crash-landed on their planet and took no you know, precautions whatsoever. Yeah, I just, uh, I think it's uh, pretty interesting because uh, Kirk is maybe going to tell Starfleet, they say, uh, that they may have just taken a, a planet out of the Dark Ages, but is that really their mission? <laughs> I mean, you know, to go around basically playing God. I think it's expressly stated in words that that is the opposite of their mission. I could be wrong, but... <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, no, it, it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little egregious violation of the prime directive. <laughs> one, one last thing though about uh day of the inquisitors spock is ripped that's all i'm yeah. gonna say about that yeah i mean you just yeah it's gonna be uh, a lot I'm, I'm picturing it's gonna be a lot of people's you know screensaver for their phone <laughs> oh they need to make a poster it's yeah. nurse chapel's phone background for sure it it really is she's got it on all of her pads Okay, so this is interesting. This Cosmic Caveman issue. We're under orders at all times not to interfere with the social and political structure of any planet outside the Federation. Of course, Captain Spock says. Uh, but a world so young and impressionable like a new war babe, that abomination goes double. Aye, Captain, I see where your head's at. They're talking about this planet that they're going to go visit. And then they literally beam down to a planet that has basically primitives on it that ride pterodactyls what are they doing <laughs> i don't understand yep they beam down in full uniform with all of their gadgets and clearly within i would say meters of some people because they are immediately attacked like within within speaking two words after beaming down they're attacked uh, so i mean you know, they had to know those people were there. Like, what? yeah, I had the exact same thought. What are you doing? And also the fact that they're explicitly stating the prime directive at the start of this story means that I think they got a pretty severe dressing down from Starfleet for the last story in between. And we just didn't see that. Apparently the public relations officer told what happened. But they didn't learn clearly because, yeah, what are they doing? She's no longer on the ship. We don't see her any more stories here. It's very true. <laughs> I had the same reaction you guys did, but my opinion of this changed when we get a little further in the story because I figure that they beam down to survey the planet, but in an area where the Pernas haven't inhabited that area. And what happened is that the woman they run into later had a vision that they were there and she sent them on these pterodactyls to go see them and find them. They weren't expecting them to arrive. Hmm. And that's very true. I mean, they, they do rationalize that here in the story. I still don't understand what the heck they're doing on a planet in full Starfleet garb, all of their, you know, uh, toys and gadgets and doohickeys and thingamabobs that you know you just said you're not supposed to to mess with other planets and 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 now you're on a planet that you legitimately mess with three seconds into getting there and you're right bruce it's not in completely their fault because they weren't expecting people to be there but Maybe you shouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah, well, that's what makes it bad is that they were, like you said, they just said, oh, it would be so bad if something like this happened. And it did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they don't even explicitly state like what their mission is or what they're doing. They're just like, oh, it'd be really bad if someone went and uh, interfered with this planet. Huh? Yeah, that'd be awful. Well, let's beam down. <laughs> and before they beam down, they get on the transporter pads and Spock waves to them goodbye. <laughs> yeah. And I've never seen Spock goodbye. wave goodbye to someone like that. <laughs> yes. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
Yes, I'm sorry. We're doing uh, sound and music because that's just what you do <laughs> when you're talking about the Gold Key comics. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's what the Enterprise did with its big hand. You know, uh, it's it's so funny because this comic, I could not understand why in the world they had the whole point about the Prime Directive. And they legitimately just go ahead and break the Prime Directive three seconds later. <laughs> and it is kind of interesting because this woman that they meet on the planet has some sort of mental abilities. And she is able to, she picked up a message from Spock on a wayward planet months ago. For some reason. And yeah, for some reason. <laughs> right. Uh I they never really explain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they've made Spock their god because they think that the vision she had was of their god. And so it's um it's very it's just weird. You know, I mean, I, I really think the whole thing was the shock of let's have being down to a planet and find out we've never been to this planet, but why is Spock their God? And then they had to find a way to explain that. And it's it's kind of dodgy. It doesn't really work. On top of that, apparently Scotty and this lady hit it off right away. And, and it, the next this comic and the next one. Wow, Scotty is a ladies' man. Yeah. He is, I mean, <laughs> oh my he's gosh. better than Kirk. I had no idea. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that too. He's really working it. I mean, like this story and like you said, the next, I mean, he's. I like the way you work it. <laughs> he's got this woman like wrapped around his finger or vice versa. I mean, there's some, He he he's got some moves. Oh, I was gonna. I was about to start singing. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> He's got the moves. No, okay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we got him. Yeah. Oh man, uh, it's just, just having uh, this. This issue is just insane. I mean, it really is. Not only that, but how about the fact that when they're captured, Scotty, he goes up to a brazier, unties his hands. <laughs> Because the fire has burned the ropes off, but apparently not his hands, <laughs> and then comes out like like He Man basically, and says the best way to solve a naughty problem is to put a couple of heads together, and he literally <laughs> is banging two natives' heads together. What is happening? <laughs> I was I was reading that, and I was like, okay, now they're delving into like Archie comic level jokes. <laughs> like this is. Oh man. But yeah, no, this is that it's the most comic I think that Star Trek's been was that probably that frame or that panel because yeah, it's it's just Scotty is ridiculous. Yeah, they're they're doing something really weird with Scotty. Hey, all the characters are pretty much what you expect, but Scotty's starting to get I, I don't know, I'm starting to think he's having too much of that green stuff. <laughs> he's not acting like himself <laughs> yeah no that's true um oh one thing i did want to mention about this story which i thought was really cool is i i think it's in this one where the uniform colors are actually they they change over to be more like the tv series so we've actually got the red blue and yellow going on uh rather than 
everyone in green except Spock, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I noticed that that Kirk's is now like orange. So we're we're moving that way. It's close. It's close. <laughs> A for effort. Yeah, it's 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 close enough for comic work, for gold key work, yeah. you know, for government work. It's good enough. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is just a this is just a strange issue. Um, it, there's just a lot of weird stuff happening, just destroying the Prime Directive immediately, uh, and Scotty being this apparently uh, incredible ladies' man. The the animal magnetism that apparently exudes from Scotty. This this woman is immediately in in love with him. That they're, they're uh, yeah they they've they've really hit it off and. Um, you know, it, it ends with kind of the classic thing. Uh, they get one of their phasers. Uh, they have to go back. They have to stop them. And they find a way to bring the planet together, both sides. Uh, and, and then they leave. Um, so, But at the same time, completely transforming this culture that is not out of the Bronze Age. Yep, and I will I mean, add... literally the Stone Age here. Yeah, exactly. And I will add, in this story, on this planet in which they've said we must not interfere, Spock beams down and announces himself as a god. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and he beams several times as the one guy goes to attack him. Spock beams to another location. Then he get, the guy goes to attack him again. Spock beams to another location. They're like, ooh, he's like, he can go invisible and change places. It's like he's got magical powers. It's like, really? You're allowed to do that? That's not in my Starfleet rule book. <laughs> I just wanted to see him do the Cal Naughton Jr. Magic man. <laughs> <laughs> now you see me? Now you don't. <laughs> Uh, this this story just oh, goes to show you how much power, you know, the people in Starfleet could have if they decided to just go set up their own planet and become gods. Oh, like, yeah. You you don't know the power of the Vulcan side <laughs> of the Vulcan mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. OK. So. If you thought that was crazy. We get to the hijacked Wait, planet. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. There's one thing I really like in this story that stands out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I want to hear it. My favorite thing in this story is the very last part. They're on the ship. The woman had given Scotty this crystal flower because, you know, he's a ladies' man. <laughs> so they're on the ship, and Spock looks at Scotty and says... I see your cave queen gave you a little posy <laughs> by which to remember her, Mr. Scott. How touching. And Scotty rolls up his fists and says, I'll touch your nose with my fist if you keep that up, Mr. Spock. You've been asking for this a couple of light years now. All right, let's go. Scotty's ready to beat up Spock. Yep. <laughs> and yeah like i don't know what they're doing with these characters here but it's almost like they're setting something up and like in the next story you know scotty's still kind of pissed at spock like <laughs> right. what's going on here but, you, although everybody's mad at spock in the next one but yeah like it's like it seemed it seemed like a it really escalated quickly there <laughs> And Kirk, Kirk had to break him up, you know? And yeah. Scotty's still got his fist up. Uh, it, it really does feel like 
they kind of understand the characters, but Scotty is not a character that they get. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. I did not get that, and I thought it was hilarious that apparently Scotty's ready to, you know, have some fisticuffs <laughs> with with Spock, who would just kick his butt. I mean, <laughs> Vulcan strength. Come on, dude. So the hijacked planet, as I was going to say, uh, before I was so wonderfully interrupted by Bruce by a part that I completely forgot. <laughs> I, just and I, I apologize. You. Yeah, no, I don't. I didn't want to be remiss for uh, you know not talking about that because it was a good scene. Uh, the hijacked planet. Now, apparently, there is a planet that is going to die because of a supernova, and they have found a way to transmute all of the people. Until tennis balls, <laughs> basically. Uh, and, and they could put all of these people into a, well, I guess what you, it might be about the size of a volleyball. Six million people they can transmute and to put them into a volleyball and then transmute them out. Uh, and so the Enterprise is tasked with carrying this transmuted ball to another planet where they will be able to live uh and uh here we get i mean scotty just i'm right at the beginning here he's playing what they call zap ball and uh he says that's the game set and match i claim my prize lassie and she kisses him on the forehead and and he says and is that the best you can do girl (laughs) and she says please mr scott we weren't playing for interplanetary zap ball championship like, wow, the sexual tension here. You could cut it with a knife. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Scotty. I. This is another one where, yeah, they just don't seem to get his character. Like, I don't... It, it just doesn't quite fit with what we've seen. Maybe around the edges kind of thing, but they're giving him this edge that... Uh, I'm kind of reminded of, like, Tom Paris in season two of Voyager when he was acting out and and and, you know missing duty shifts and being late and i don't know it just feels like they're trying to do something with scotty here and i don't know what i think they must have read something in the star trek bible that says that scotty likes to drink his scotch and they were like oh he's the drunk character (laughs) (laughs) we can work with this yeah (laughs) (laughs) because he's just a mess you know and he's got a temper and he's flirting with the ladies and he wants more than just a little kiss on the forehead my goodness man Mm. (laughs) the most interesting thing about this this issue i think is the fact that spock they they run into a woman that's alone in a spaceship and uh Spock saves her, brings her back to the Enterprise, and then it appears that Spock and her start to fall in love. But the twist is that Spock realizes she did this on purpose so that her partner can take the transmuted planet of people in the volleyball and hold them for ransom so they can get really rich and Spock doesn't tell anybody about this and so that's what makes everybody mad at Spock because he just takes it upon himself to handle the whole situation 
by himself. And then when it doesn't quite go to Spock's plan, they he has to bring everybody else in to the fold. It's it's just so weird. It's really bizarre. Like I remember a few issues ago we had that story uh where you know you didn't realize that the crew was in on the plan from the beginning kind of thing and it feels like they're trying to replicate that again here with Spock but it's just yeah it comes across really weird because uh there are multiple points where this whole thing could have been stopped if Spock actually knew what was going on and for some reason he just lets it happen and I have to say, I'm noticing a pattern here. At the start of this story, they say the one thing that we cannot do is, you know, let any harm come to this because, boy, if that were to happen, that would be awful. And then it gets stolen. Like, <laughs> it's just like the last issue. <laughs> Can't interfere in this planet. Bad things will happen. Oh, we interfered. Same thing here. Six million people in this ball. And... <laughs> Yeah, we just let it get stolen. You had yeah. one job. <laughs> right. He was supposed to guard it. He was the security for it, and he let it happen. We found out later he had a feeling he knew that this was going to happen when he found out this woman on the ship, and he realized that her ship wasn't out of fuel or whatever like she had claimed, and so he knew that she was up to no good, and so he let it play out so he could capture them with the volleyball of six hundred million people or whatever it is by the way i don't mind the volleyball that much it's it, to me it's almost like transporter technology where they take their data form and put them in like a hard drive so i thought it was pretty mm -hmm. cool nice to know that you can hold everybody's piece of consciousness like everything that makes somebody 600 million of them in a volleyball well i don't know i mean i guess I, i've never heard it before <laughs> but you know, this is the future. And I, I just want, I'm trying not to defend this too much. So they did do it on Deep Space Nine, but it was six people and it took every space of memory in the entire station to do it. Just throwing that out there. Well, that's true. That's true. This is, but a it is, timeline. it is actually a really cool concept. I do have to say, I, I, I thought that aspect of it was actually pretty cool. And I do, I do want to point out something real quick at the beginning of this issue. There's two things that really stood out to me. One is the star date, the way they represent it is correct now, as opposed to two digits and then a colon, two digits, then a dot and a digit. This oh, is I missed that. Nice. an actual star date, 3248.6. And also the very first frame of this, they I thought this part was interesting. The captain's log says that this uh this star was when it started to go Nova, it was in the early 23rd century. And this comic was written in the early 70s. And I have used to read things way back when, before the Akutas even came out with their encyclopedias and, and timelines, of uh, people trying to figure out when does Star Trek take place. And some people had in the 22nd century, not until The Wrath of Khan came out, where it said at the beginning of the film, the 23rd century, and people started to play, well, maybe the five-year mission was in the latter part of the 22nd century and the movies take place in the early part of 23rd century, whatever. But I think the comics, they were, they got it right. The 23rd century. So I was actually impressed by that. Yeah. I caught that too. That was pretty cool. That was a, a nice touch for sure. Yeah, absolutely though. The very best thing about this issue, a Scottish terrier saves the day. <laughs> that was pretty so cool. I, you know, uh, there's nothing like transmuting a Scottish Terrier to take care of your business for you. So It's a pretty cute dog, uh, I have to say. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was. Uh, although apparently Kirk doesn't like dogs. And he says, uh, at the end, the joke is, the ha-ha joke is, quite right, Mr. Scott. Actually, I was thinking of having him served at the officer's mess. <laughs> Scotty's reply, ha-ha-ha. <laughs> you mean drunk Scotty. Yeah, so. not funny, Kirk. <laughs> not funny. Dog aside is not funny. I, You know, it, it's it's funny. I think one of the things that's been really nice about these comics is seeing the way in which we have slowly become more and more like Star Trek. And at the same time, it's also great how far they still have to go. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. There's, there, in, a, in a lot of ways, I feel like these three issues really show a big turning point as far as the looks of, of this, this series goes. It's looking a lot more like Star Trek. But like you say, there's still a long ways to go as far as the characters and as far, well, especially Scotty, and as far as some of the ideas and storylines, you know, they're they're not quite defoliating an entire planet of sentient plants, but they're still, you know, kind of jumping in and beating up people without asking questions first. It's it's on the or it's on the border there. It's beginning to look a lot like Star Trek. <laughs> Every page you turn. Yeah. And I was I, I was going to add to that, but I'm not going to sing. So it, it's like when you read, I read, it's getting to a point where I'm reading a page and I'm like, okay, this is good. This feels like Star Trek. This is like, it, it's like they finally got it. I get to the second page. Maybe that's good too. But by the time you're going to hit the third page, then something happens. Like, you know, here we find like Spock, he's, he figures out what's going on and we find out later that, yeah, he, he has, he tells Kirk and Kirk helps him try to solve this whole thing. But prior to that, he hits an officer in the back of the head with his phaser, just like knocks him out. And he didn't have to do that. He could have done a nerve pinch or whatever, but it's like all of a sudden they become violent. I swear they're all drinking at this point. They just become very violent in hitting and shooting, and 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 it's not. If they ever saw the series back at that time, they would know that that's not what Spock does. That's why the nerve pitch was even invented for that show in the first place. But anyway, it's. I mean, they're fun, but yeah, it's just it gets disappointing because I'm really hoping to get to a point where they finally get it right. Well, Gold Key is all about shoot first and ask questions later, and if you've killed the guy, then you probably just need to find somebody else. So hopefully you don't repeat the process. <laughs> it's gold key, not golden rule. We don't follow that stuff. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's fun. I, you know, I, I've loved looking through and, and reading through this uh, third volume, uh, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I, I'm so glad that we have been doing this because of seeing, you know, like Kevin and Dayton doing the Waypoint gold key homage and and that was so much fun but it really was because i knew what they were referencing so it made it so much more fun and and these have just been an enjoyable experience so far so i i really can't complain no i agree totally it's it, it's it's a we've said it before but it's it's a fun what if you know like if if star trek had been more of a a common pulp type science fiction thing it's fun to see what other people would have done with it. Um, but like Bruce says, I'm excited to see it evolve closer to Star Trek, just to see, 
you know, what that process looks like. How do we get from there to here or here to there? I don't know. One of those two. I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I, I enjoy reading these. They're fun, but it's because we're looking at it from a certain point of view. We're looking at it from the year 2016, looking back at the 70s and these are early and who cares if they're good or bad? Ah, ha, ha, they're fun. But if this were the comics today, if this was the new stuff that was always coming out and gold teeth gold key and all these comics never existed and finally after 50 years they're like star trek is finally coming to comics and we were getting this stuff we would be complaining like crap on this show right now we'd be like what is wrong with these people this is not star trek this is garbage it should be thrown away so in the context of time it's fun but back then i just wonder if star trek fans were reading this and said you know i i can't do this and it was just kids reading it just you know for fun that's a great question. I, I wonder what the reception of this was like, like as they were hitting comic book shelves. I'm, I, now that you mentioned that, I'm really curious, you know, were people embracing this or was it, I guess maybe comics were just a, more of a kid thing at the time too. Yeah. I mean, the seventies for comics, you know, you're really seeing a, a revolution in them with Marvel, you know, and they're bringing a new sensibility to things and, uh, a, a different way and it, it is starting to become something that is is more than just for kids but it's still in that zone so yeah I mean it is an interesting thing to think about and you know I think it is really helpful to kind of look back because it is almost an alternate history for Star Trek and it gives us that opportunity to see uh, you know what is it that made Star Trek special and each time as they continue to move closer to that it's uh, almost a you know, a win, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh, 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 they're starting to get it. And and the look is still slowly starting to get there. I mean, this looks much more like the Enterprise from the inside to the out. You know, uh, when they're the ship's flying through space, it's not having belching fire from the nacelles anymore. It just kind of has that kind of whoosh motion, basically, to give you that sense of motion in space. So all of that stuff is starting to come together. And where they don't get it, it, I don't know. I think more than anything, it just makes it enjoyable and fun to read and gives you a good laugh. And you know what? Today, that ain't so bad. Well, that was a lot of fun without having to drink like Scotty did. We had a good time reviewing those comics. And uh, I don't know. Is there a volume four that we're going to hit? I can't. I don't know how many volumes they actually did of this, of the reprints. Yeah, Bruce, uh, actually, we've got volume four and five of the Gold Key comics to come, so we have plenty to talk about. You know that I'm going to probably have to come back to talk about some of those with you because uh, it's good stuff. Uh, you can find all of those, of course, on uh, Comixology if you're looking for them or, you know, at your local bookstore or Amazon or something like that. So, yeah, definitely, I think, worth taking a look at as we... You know, continue to dive back into the history uh, of Star Trek, and and this is really some of the earliest history for you know um, things beyond the television show. So that's what also I think makes this so much fun, and I'm I'm so glad that we get to talk about this stuff. Uh, we got a great associate producers through Patreon: Ken Tripp, Brandon Shamatella, Bruce Gibson, Norman Lau. Really appreciate uh, their support of the show and the network through Patreon. Now, uh, we're a listener-supported network. We have a big year coming up for 2017. We want to continue to make Trek FM the premier place for Star Trek podcasts and beyond. So 
go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team. Every little bit helps. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Bruce, when you're not bringing home the pose that you got from the lady you just met on the planet below, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter tweeting about posies. My handle is Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me talking Star Wars, especially Rogue One coming up on the Star Wars Report podcast. And uh, of course, you can always find me in the Babel Conference. And Dan, when you're not going to beat me up for having posies, where can people find you? What do you mean by, by that, you Vulcan freak? Uh, I mean, sorry, that was totally out of line. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kertrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And if you keep looking at me like that, Bruce, I'm going to hit you. Okay. Anyway, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Kertrats47. You can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions. And of course, on the Babel Conference, chatting with Bruce and Matt and everyone else there about Star Trek books, comics, and everything else. And Matt, when you're not beaming around from place to place on a planet trying to convince them that you're a god, where can we find you? Whoa, uh, wow. Hopefully uh, no lightning has struck me yet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me here in the network uh, with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine on the Orb. I'm doing the 602 Club, our general geek show, talking about everything geeky. We've got such a great year this year. I mean, we've done... Marvel, DC, Bond, old school things like uh, The Last Starfighter, Dune. I, we've got more Star Wars to come this year with Rogue One. Check out 602 Club. And, of course, we have Star Wars and 602 Club collection, both there on iTunes for you. Uh, check out both of the feeds. And if you can't get enough Star Wars, and I'm, who can't? Uh, find me on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills over on thenerdparty.com or of course on iTunes well thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading to each his own number one